Funky Peeps. I'm your host, Angela Bowen, and welcome to another podcast episode of Punky Power, an unofficial Punky Brewster podcast. Today, I'll be discussing two more serious episodes from season two of Punky Brewster. First up is season two, episode 11, entitled The Gift. Punky befriends the school janitor who, in spite of her learning disability, is a gifted violin player. This episode aired on November 24th, 1985, and later I will be discussing Season 2, Episode 12, Milk Does a Body Good. In this episode, Punky and Cherry learned that a girl who recently moved into their building was kidnapped by her divorced father, and they are both living in the building under assumed names. This episode aired on December 1st, 1985, and this episode shows a young Candace Cameron of Full House and Fuller House fame. Alright, let's get started with Season 2, Episode 11, The Gift. The episode opens in Mike's classroom as he talks to Linda, the school custodian. He compliments her on her amazing job of cleaning the floors. He tells her, they're so clean, I don't even have to use a mirror. All I gotta do is just check out my reflection in the floor. (laughs) Linda loves this. It makes her feel good when someone tells her she's doing a good job. She's used to people kind of teasing her and stuff. Even the kids, which is terrible. As Linda pushes her cart out of Mike's classroom, she tells him how this is her first job and how her mom told her that if she's not careful, she could get fired. Well, isn't she the negative one? Don't put that in Linda's head. But at least her dad gives her a vote of confidence, telling her, go for it. So she did, and she got it. She tells Mike how she always wanted to go to regular school, but everyone said that she was too dumb. Oh, Linda girl, I know how you feel. I lost track of the number of times I wanted to be in regular education. I was put in a few regular classes at the start of 8th grade, found out I couldn't keep up, and was put back in special ed. And that did break my heart. I was really sad. I just kind of, I wanted to break out of that. I wanted to be with the regular kids. I love how Linda has her sticker book on her cart, and her cart is actually decorated with really awesome stickers. She starts giggling and lets Mike in on the joke about the man that told her she was too dumb to attend regular school, now has to pay her as a custodian. I want to play Mike's interaction with Linda. He is so sweet with her, and he treats her like a regular person, not, and not like someone who has a disability. So I will be right back, guys. Enjoy the clip. I always wanted to go to regular school like everybody else, but they wouldn't let me because I was too dumb. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Why is that funny? The man said I I wasn't smart enough to get in regular school and and now I go to regular school every day and and the same man has to pay me for it. (laughs) I'm not too dumb. Here, Mr. Fulton. This sticker is for you. For me? It means you're cool. Not as cool as you, Linda. Not nearly as cool. Linda's busy mopping the hallway floor, and Punky comes around the corner with muddy feet, and she leaves footprints in her wake as she heads to her locker. This makes Linda upset, as she fears she will be fired because the floor is supposed to be clean. So she grabs the mop and starts wiping away the footprints. Punky decides to help give her a hand by grabbing a rag from the cleaning cart and wiping away the muddy foot the muddy footprints by her locker. Sorry, guys. I want to play the clip of their first interaction on screen and how good Punky is with Linda and how she doesn't talk down to her, but she treats her like an equal. So I'll be right back. Hi, Linda. Hi, Punky. I got all the way home and realized I left my spelling book in my locker. Oh, no, look, look. This floor is supposed to be clean. That's my job. These little feet are not supposed to be here. Sorry, Linda. Here, let me help you. This floor is 
supposed to be clean. I I'm going to get fired. I'm the one that got the mud on your floor. <laughs> they fire anyone, they'll fire me. Only the law says I have to go to school, so they can't fire me. <laughs> You're funny, Punky. I like you. Thanks, Linda. I like you, too. Most of the kids here laugh at me and call me dummy. They think I don't understand them, but, but I do. Don't pay any attention to that. Kids are always calling people names. You know what they call me? What? Gunky. I'll never call you Gunky. Thanks. Hey, do you like stickers? Sure, everybody does. You want to see my sticker book? Yeah. You've got the glittery ones, too. Here, this is for you. It says number one friend. Thanks, Linda. This is neat. See you tomorrow. Bye. Linda lets her know that the other kids aren't as nice to her and call her names. And then she gives Punky a sticker that says, Number One Friend. You know, I love stickers. I loved them back then, especially the puffy ones. And then later on, the, the scratch and sniff ones were really cool, too. Later that night, Punky is at the kitchen table looking through her sticker book. Henry tells her she's spending too much time playing with her sticker book and she should be focusing on her homework. She tells him, well, I already, I don't have any. And he's like, well, since when? Since I finished it th earlier this afternoon. He praises her for being such a smart girl. This is when Punky asks him what makes some people smarter than others and why other people's brains work differently. I want to play this clip, guys. I'm going to tell you right now. This is going to be a clip-heavy episode because there are so many good ones and... I cannot, my words cannot convey just the beauty and power of these scenes. So, um, Henry explains that Punky needs to see Linda as a person and not just see her disability. Also, guys, if you've seen this episode, there are a couple hard R's in these couple of clips that I'm going to play. Please, please don't take offense to this. That being said, you know, it was the 80s and the word retarded was said a lot to explain someone who is mentally handicapped or kids used it as slang to refer to someone instead of calling them stupid. It was cr cruel. You know, I got called that a couple times even by people that were supposed to be my family and it hurt a lot. So, alright, I'm going to play this clip and I'll be right back. No, I mean... Why are some people smarter than other people? What other people do you mean? Well, like my friend Linda, she works at school. She's mentally retarded. Oh. Why would God make a person retarded? Punky, the world is made up of all kinds of people. Some are rich, some are poor, some are tall, some are short, some are smart, and others are not. Why? She doesn't seem fair to all the poor, dumb, short people. <laughs> that, because you're looking at them as poor, dumb, short people. You're looking at what they don't have rather than what they do. I don't get it. You said Linda was your friend. Tell me, what do you like about her? Lots of things. She's friendly. She works real hard. She's pretty. Seems like Linda has a lot of wonderful qualities. She does. She's terrific. She doesn't seem like someone you should feel sorry for. Even though she's mentally retarded? Punky, you're doing it again. You're looking at what she doesn't have. You shouldn't pity Linda because she's not as smart as you. That's like uh, a giraffe feeling sorry for all the other animals because their necks are not as long as his. <laughs> Punky, I'm very glad Linda is your friend. Me too. And I think you're right, Henry. About what? I can be a better friend if I stop feeling sorry for her. Thanks, Henry. In class the next day, Mike is showing the class... Hmm, excuse me. In class the next day, Mike is showing the class pictures of different musical instruments. 
Margot answers incorrectly, calling the pitcher a clarinet. Then Alan calls it a buffoon, and Margot corrects him, saying it's called a bassoon. Turns out, they're both incorrect. Mike turns to Cherry, and she tells him, I bet it's not an oboe, and she tells him, I bet you're right. He tells her, it's an oboe, or it's not an oboe, I'm sorry. All the while, he's adopting a Bill Cosby voice, which I'm not even going to try to attempt. Mike holds up an easy one, and all the kids' hands shoot in the air. Let me mention here that Linda is in the broom or supply closet in the classroom, dusting while all, all this is going on. And she comes out, and she sees a picture, and she shouts, It's a violin! The kids all turn in Linda's direction, and all but Punky and Mike have angry and startled expressions on their faces. It's like the class, their heads turn as one in Linda's direction, looking at her like, what the heck? You're not part of this class. Why are you answering for us? Linda's embarrassed, of course, so she turns around and quickly busies, busies herself with the dusting. Alan turns to Margot, calling Linda, what a dunce. And Margot agrees, shaking her, nodding her head. Punky witnesses this exchange between her two friends and glares at them. I'd be pissed too. It's like, who are you two to think that you can call somebody that? Regardless of their lack of intelligence or their intelligence or anything. Mike continues with the lesson, explaining that Linda was correct. The picture is of a violin. He asks them to take out a sheet of paper from their desk, and as they listen to the violin solo, he wants them to close their eyes and draw whatever comes to mind. You want us to draw a picture of music? Punky asks, confused. Mike tells her that's correct, and explains how music is an emotional expression, and it makes us feel things. He tells him, okay, close your eyes. Listen and draw what you feel. Mike starts up the music and the kids all sit there with their eyes closed, listening. Linda hears the music and turns around. She closes her eyes and feels the music and the notes in her mind as she uses the long handle of the duster as a violin bow and slowly moves it back and forth across the spray bottle in her hand, which is propped against her cheek like a violin. Now, when I watched this episode before, Jeremy always kind of points out, you know, why is she cleaning in the classroom while the class is in session? That normally wouldn't happen. No, it probably wouldn't. I'm sure that custodians come in after the class has been let out for the day. What happens next pisses me off so much that I really dislike Alan's character after this. Alan's looking around, not doing the assignment, and then he spots Linda and starts giggling. Then he calls out to the class, Hey guys, look at Linda! At once, all the kids open their eyes and their heads all turn right in her direction. Linda stops and opens her eyes, freezing like a deer in headlights. I feel so bad for her. I can't even begin to imagine what she must be feeling. Next, she's going to play a mop solo, Alan adds, laughing. And every kid but Punky laughs. Mike quickly shuts off the music and stands up as Linda rushes out of the room while Punky calls after her. Punky quickly turns her rage on Alan. Way to go, Alan! All the kids are now looking at Punky and Alan concerned while Mike stands with his hands on his hips. I'm going to play this clip of Punky calling out Alan for hurting Linda's feelings. And how Alan fires back at her saying, can't hurt her feelings because she's mentally challenged. Well, he says retarded. So I'm going to play the clip and I will be right back. Alan, you hurt Linda's feelings. Did not. Can't hurt her feelings. She's a retard. <laughs> Stand up, Alan. Come here. Is Mr. Fulton? Alan, you will never again use the word retard in this classroom.
Where do you get off making fun of someone's disability? Now, would you have laughed at Linda if she walked on crutches? No. But she did look kind of funny playing a feather duster. <laughs> Alan, I'm ashamed of you. So am I. I'm sorry. Mike, can I go and see if Linda's all right? Sure, Punky. But if you can't find her on this floor, come right back to class. I will. And as for you, Mr. Anderson, on my desk tomorrow morning, I want a three-page report on the Special Olympics. What's that? You have until 9 o'clock tomorrow morning to find out and be prepared to read the report to the entire class. Mike, I don't read so good out loud. Everybody will laugh at me. No, they won't. Thanks to you, this class has learned a lesson about what's funny and what isn't. You know what, Mike? What? I'm pig dirt. The kids all giggle at Alan calling Linda that word. Punky asks to go look for Linda and Mike gives her permission, but tells her if she can't find her on this floor that she needs to come right, come right back to class. Mike angrily calls Alan to the front of the class, which you guys just heard all of that in the clip beforehand. And he lectures him, asks him why he thought he had the right to make fun of someone with a disability. And Alan laughs it off, making light of it like it was nothing more than having fun at someone else's expense. Alright, let me just say this. Alan is, what, nine? Right? So I figure even in the 80s, that is plenty old enough to know better than to hurt a person with a mental disability or any type of disability. Being a child, as far as I'm concerned, does not excuse that kind of behavior. When I was in fourth or fifth grade, there was a teacher. She wasn't my teacher at my school, but she suffered from polio. I was, um, gosh, when was it? 90, 92, 93 when I was in fourth and fifth grade. So this lady suffered from polio. I think that was right around the time of the 50s and 60s. It might have even been... You know, polio might have been around even before then. Well, she suffered from polio as a child. And, you know, at that time, she walked with a limp. She spoke to my class about, how, about her disability, how she got it, and how she had to learn how to walk with a, with a limp. She probably even had, one point, maybe even had a brace on her leg. She mentioned how some students, not hers, I don't think, made fun of her by imitating her limp when she would walk. Alright, to me, these kids, as far as I'm concerned, are probably the ones that will become future bullies or have severe issues as adults and think it's acceptable to hurt people both mentally and physically. Now, I'm not saying all kids, I'm just saying some. Maybe some grow out of that, I don't know. In the hallway, Linda comes out of the girls' bathroom as she dabs at her eyes and blows her nose with a Kleenex. She stops short when she sees Punky, thinking that Punky's come to laugh at her as well. I want to play this clip because it breaks my heart so much as she opens up to Punky about how embarrassed she is that they all laughed at her when she was playing the spray bottle like a violin. Punky tells her how she used to pretend one time that she was Rapunzel and she ran down the street with a whole roll of toilet paper on her head. She said, she adds how, you know, that was a long time ago. Linda tells her, you know, that she's an adult and she keeps doing these dumb things and that she's scared she's going to lose her job. Punky tells her, you know, don't worry about that because she's a good worker and it's hard to find good help these days. Punky points out to Linda all of her good qualities, and Linda smiles at this, telling Punky that she's made her feel better. And Punky tells her that's what number one be number one friends are for. <laughs> Punky girl.
Pretended to be Rapunzel. The girl with the real long hair. I ran down the street with a whole roll of toilet paper flying from my head. <laughs> Maybe that is a little dumb. Of course, I was younger then. <laughs> but I'm grown up. And I'm still dumb. And I always will be. You know what, Linda? What? I think we should stop thinking about the things you don't have and start thinking about the things you do have. You do? Yes. What do I have? Well, you're one of the nicest people I know. I am? And you're real pretty. I am. And you're a good worker. I, I am. Matter of fact, you're a wonderful worker. <laughs> That's right. I'm wonderful. Well, I'll settle for good. <laughs> but I, I broke the rule. The cleaning ladies must not disturb the class, and they'll fire me. No, they won't fire you. Are you sure? Positive. It's hard to find good help these days. Thanks, Punky. You made me feel a lot better. That's what number one friends are for. Mike's playing the drums and keyboard in the empty classroom when Linda comes in to apologize for disturbing his class. Mike tells her not to worry about it, and he apologizes for Alan's actions. I think that Mike should have made Alan apologize to Linda instead of apologizing for him. Mike does say that Alan is sorry, too. Linda just laughs it off, saying, you know, we're all a sorry bunch. This helps to ease awkwardness for them, I think. Usually, I do the same as I feel it helps. It, help, it helps take the edge off the seriousness. You know, in, in the awkwardness of a situation, it's like, eh, you know, sometimes it's like, eh, I'm gonna laugh a little. Make a light joke, change the subject sometimes. Linda heads the supply... I cannot say this word without stumbling. Linda heads to the supply closet in the classroom to put her duster and spray bottle away. And then she tells Mike about the song that he played during class, and she hums a few notes. He claps, impressed, and tells her, very good. She smiles in delight. He tells her, it's trauma rye. And she tells him she knows. And he asks if she's heard it before. She tells him no, but she just knows how the song is supposed to go. She tells Mike that it's like the L train. And he looks at her, not understanding. She explains, the L train is near her house and tempts him. Sometimes she can hear it outside her window. She can tell how many cars it has by the sound it makes. She doesn't even have to look. Mike just looks at her and says, that's amazing. She continues how when she hears the first far away sound of the train, she can tell what the next sound will be. She tells him that it's just like the song he played in class. She just knows what will come next. I just noticed this on the door of the room that they're standing in. It reads coats, but it's a supply closet for cleaning supplies. I didn't see any any coats in there. Mike gets an idea and has Linda follow him to try something. And he hands her the violin, asking her to try to play it. 
She looks interested at first, but then quickly backs away from it, frightened at this prospect of getting fired. Her mother really did a heck of a number. Mike pulls back, trying not to upset her further. Like I said, my golly, her mom sure didn't do a number on instilling that in her brain, how she could get fired for practically any reason. Basically, just go there, you clean, you don't interact with anybody, or you could get fired. I mean, my goodness. She put the fear of God in this poor, poor girl. Linda listened, um... Lists to herself all the reasons that she shouldn't touch the violin, mainly because she could break it and they would fire her. But then realization dawns on her face as she mentions to herself, they won't fire me. It's hard to find good help these days. She turns to Mike with a smile on her, va on her face and tells him, I'd like to hold the violin. He gladly hands it over as she gently cradles it and then slowly runs her hand down the side. She is so profoundly amazed by this violin, the beauty and the craftsmanship, and being allowed to hold it. In class, the kids are all playing instruments, Punky's on the drums, Cherry's on the keyboards, and Margo's on the saxophone. Ew, how many lips have touched that saxophone? <laughs> Mouthpiece. The other kids have all, all have their hands covering their ears. Mike waves at them to stop, but they keep playing. Finally, he stops in front of them and shouts while doing a high kick or splits or type move to get their attention. He thanks them for showing the class how much music can be hard on the ears. Mike tells the class to give the girls a round of applause, and the girls take their seats with the rest of the class. He tells them how learning to play an instrument can be hard work, and it usually takes people starting when they're really young to become very good musicians when they get older. Alan tells the class how he's been playing the violin for over a year now, and his teacher says he'll probably be playing until the day he dies. Well, that's probably a polite way of saying you're gonna need you're just needing a lot of practice, and may you may or may not get any better. Who knows? He tells the um, Mike tells the class that some people are born with a magical gift, like Mozart, who started playing the piano when he was three. Jerry asks how he could reach the keys, being he was so small. And Mike jokes how they probably slid a couple of telephone books underneath his pampers. Mozart asks, er, <laughs> I'm sorry guys, Punky asks how Mozart played could play the piano at such a young age. Mike explains how music is an artistic ability and how it doesn't necessarily rely on intelligence. I'm going to play this clip and show how this explanation plays into him introducing Linda as a musical savant. In fact, it's possible for a person with a severe learning disability to develop musical genius. And when that happens, it's called the savant syndrome. Savant syndrome? Have you ever met any syndromers? As a matter of fact, we all have. And I've invited her to class to play for us. Come in, Linda. for us go ahead I'm afraid asks if they've ever met any people like that and Mike tells them to their surprise they all have and he invites Linda into the classroom. The kids all look at each other confused like what is Linda doing here? 
Linda's dressed very nice with a skirt and a knitted blue sweater over a blouse. I'm thinking maybe this might be her day off. She comes in, but she tells Mike that she's scared. Punky catches her eye and gives her an encouraging thumbs up. Linda takes the violin and plays for the class the song they heard yesterday. She plays it from memory. That's the end of the episode. We don't see Linda again after this. I hope her character gets to attend a, you know, a place where she can learn more and about and how to use her ability, like maybe a um, a music hall or something. You know, it's a gift, honestly, that should be shared, not just in the classroom, but with the world, even. Time for my Brandon episode tail rating. I'm giving it five out of five Brandon tail wags. One props given to Bonnie Yerseth, the actress. Sorry, the actress who played Linda. She did a fabulous job portraying a mentally handicapped adult. Hey, London. Uh, my bunny rabbit's out. He's just hopping past. Number two, for Punky showing kindness to Linda and being her friend. Three, for Henry who taught Punky to like Linda for who she is and not because she feels sorry for her. For Mike stomping out Alan's rude comment to Linda and making him understand what he was doing was wrong and for giving him the three-page paper assignment on the Special Olympics and making him read it in front of the class. He made an example out of Alan. You don't treat people like that, Alan. That's what I'm saying. And for the last one, for Mike helping Linda share her gift when he realizes her musical talent. He treats her with respect and he doesn't talk down to her. Time for Punky's Principles. What I got from this episode is that we as people need to treat those with mental and physical disabilities with respect. That goes for children as well as adults. Do not talk down to them and treat them like, you know, just treat them like you would anybody else. Like a friend on the, you know, like a best friend. Like just someone you meet on the street and you strike up a conversation with. This episode, this episode showed how we need to lead by example. Punky and Mike befriended Linda not because they felt sorry for her, not because they felt sorry she had a disability, but because she was a kind and a decent person. All right, here's some trivia for this episode. The tune that Linda plays on the violin is Kinderzinen. I'm, I think this might be German. OP 15 number 7, popularly known as Trauma Ride by Robert Schumann. Alright, I'll be right back with Season 2, Episode 12, Milk Does a Body Good, which aired on December 1st, 1985. Alright, Season 2, Episode 12, Milk Does a Body Good, as I said, it aired on December 1st, 1985. Punky and Cherry learned that a girl who moved into the building recently was kidnapped by her divorced father, and they are both living in the building under assumed names. The episode begins in the backyard. Punky and Cherry are in the treehouse. They're doing a little cleaning, and we see Brandon with a little feather duster attached to his tail. Punky tells him, hey, Brandon, you missed a spot. So he lifts up his paw that has a dust mop attached to it as he's, you know, kind of rubbing against the, the banister there. Brandon is a cleaning machine, this little guy. This guy, well, he's not so little anymore. He's, he's a big guy. He's a grown boy. Punky and Cherry look down when they hear the back door open and see a little blonde-haired girl in pigtails walk out. Cherry comments on how the new girl just moved in. She's the new girl that she just moved into the apartment building. Punky asks the girl, whose name is Julie, if she wants to come up to the treehouse. And Julie tells her she can't because her dad told her she has to stay in the backyard. Well, there's the first red flag right there. Punky tells Julie, well, the treehouse is in the backyard. Julie realizes she's right and decides to come up. But as she starts to climb on the steps to go up into the treehouse, she barely, she like puts her foot right on the step and pulls herself up. And her father appears in the doorway. Boom. Just like magic. He's there. It's like, she just came out of the doorway. Was he like trailing her? Anyway, he tells her, 
get down from there. Like, I don't want you climbing up in the treehouse. Punky tells him, it's okay, Julie's not trespassing. And she giggles at her own joke. Mr. Whitney looks up at Punky and smiles like, oh, I didn't see you there. He tells the girls that Julie has to eat her lunch now. If Julie looks familiar, it's because she's played by a then Candace Cameron, who would later go on to full start in Full House as DJ Tanner, and much later in the 2016 rebooted Fuller House, she plays DJ Fuller. And then she's also Candace Cameron Bure, because she got married. If the man who plays her father is familiar, it's because you might recognize him if you've seen National Lampoon's Vacation from 1983. His, name's is ja- his name is James Staley, and he plays the, um, when the Griswolds go to, it might be Dodge City, and he's, a, or it might be a hotel that they go to, and they don't have any money, and then he tells them, I can only accept a check with a major credit card. And he's really snotty to him. So, uh, yeah, that's where I remember him from. And that's like a couple years prior to this episode. Julie tells her dad, I'm not really hungry. His cheery manner quickly dis- disappears as he says, Julie, inside, let's go. Yeah, there's something up with this guy. Julie climbs down and follows her father inside, but not before turning around and waving, Bye, Punky! Bye, Cherry! And Punky and Cherry talk about how they feel bad for Julie. She never gets to come out and play, and how her father's always so nervous. Cherry tells Punky how her grandma says that you can tell a lot by people by their furniture, and Punky looks at her confused. Cherry confirms that she and her grandma had watched them move in, and they had almost nothing. Well, how they watched them move in, you're going to find out later. They are directly across from Punky and Henry. Yes, they moved into that same little empty apartment that Punky had originally been in when she and Henry first met. So, I'm guessing, has that apartment been vacant for like over a year now? Because Punky's been with Henry for at least a year. Mm. Punky asks what they learned from that, and Cherry says, almost nothing. Well, that was no help. Punky tells Cherry her hunch of how she thinks Mr. Whitney is a Russian spy, here to spy on the space shuttle from Chicago. But Cherry corrects her, saying, the space shuttle isn't in Chicago. Punky adds, he's from Russia, what's he know? In Henry and Punky's living room, Betty and Henry are telling Mr. Whitney how great living at the apartment is. How people are so nice and good about minding their own business. But then Betty asks, so what do you do for a living? He tells her, you know, he's in sales. Betty smiles, telling him she figured he was ba- he was in sales based on his charm and good looks. Oh, Betty, 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 you charmer girl. Henry tells him that, you know, we're having a family get-together for dinner And he asks Mr. Whitney if he and Julie would like to join them. Julie looks up at her father expectantly. Betty mentions how she's making pot roast and she always makes too much. Which I kind of told Jeremy, I'm like, with pot roast, I mean, when I get a pot roast, when we have that in the crock pot, we usually get about, like, maybe like, like five, five, six pounds, which it's just the two of us. So they probably make pot roast bigger, right? Well, you're always going to have more leftover. Even when we eat it, we have enough leftover for him to make. I think the last time we made pot roast, he made like a sandwich out of it, which was really cool. So, um, and Henry says how, you know, he's serving potatoes a la Warnamont. And... Betty said that's just this fancy way of saying he makes potatoes, buds, or buds, or whatever. Mr. Whitney apologizes and tells them, unfortunately, they won't be able to make it. But Julie perks up and tells them, sure we will, Dad. I'm getting tired of TV dinners. If that's what they're living on and have been for months, I would never want to look at a TV dinner again, let alone eat one. Especially without TV, she adds. 
Well, when you're traveling light and always on the run, there's really no time to pack all that stuff. Be you know, and Cherry said that she and her grandma watched them move in. They had, like, next to nothing. Probably, like, whatever they can fit in a car. Henry mentions the girls are going to make a cake. And Betty adds how maybe Julie could give them a hand. Julie looks at her father and she says, Please, Dad. Mr. Whitney bites his bottom lip nervously, like he's being backed into a corner here. I think the guy has to stop being so paranoid because that is going to set people off and get suspicious about your motives. He needs to just behave like a normal father, not like a caged cat. Mr. Whitney agrees to come and leaves with Julie across the hall and unlocks the door to the same apartment Henry first discovered Punky staying in a year ago. Which I had already said about, yeah, has the apartment stayed vacant this whole time. In the kitchen, Betty helps the girls get all they need to bake the cake, and Sherry tells Betty, Grandma, I thought we could bake this cake ourselves. Betty assures them, well, you can. And she turns to Julie and asks, Have you and your mom ever baked a cake together? Julie tells her, I can't remember. It's been a long time since the last time I saw my mom. Punky and Sherry share an uneasy look at this. Betty tells them, that she preset the oven and reminds them not to make a mess as she walks into the living room. She, um, the girls all giggle at this, like, <laughs> make a mess, of course we're going to do that. Betty turns around in the doorway and tells them she remembers when she was a little girl cooking in the kitchen with her friends and how her mother got mad when they messed up the kitchen and she gave them a whipping they would never forget. And she tells them not to forget it either, giving them a stern look. And the girls look at each other nervously. Punky complains, well, there goes our food fight. Then Punky doles out the rolls. She'll be the cake maker. Cherry will be the icing maker. And Julie asks what she'll be responsible for. Punky tells her, well, you can be the assistant to both of us. Julie is stoked about this. And Punky reads the back of the, direct, uh, the box for the directions. Punky asks for a tablespoon, and Julie hands her a wooden spoon. Punky asks, are you sure this is a tablespoon? And Julie says, well, it's a, ta it's a spoon, and was on the table. See, Betty really needs to be supervising them, especially when it comes to putting the cake in the oven and setting the timer. Well, she is actually looking in on them from the top of the door. She could have corrected them, but instead she sits on the couch and flips through a magazine. Then she falls asleep. Brandon also falls asleep. <laughs> in the kitchen, the cake is out of the oven, and it looks like a kid made it, which isn't to say it's bad necessarily. It just looks kind of deflated. The girls add shredded coconut and cherries to give it some flavor and texture, I'm guessing. They all look at their masterpiece, but now they want to taste it. But Cherry warns them, we can, it's for dinner. Well, more like dessert or after dinner. Anyway, they decide to take a little piece and just fill the hole in with icing. Punky gets the milk and Cherry gets the glasses. When they come back to the table, Cherry mentions how next time they should make two cakes. One for after dinner and one for now. That's when Punky notices the side of the milk carton and spies a familiar face. And then she hands it to Cherry for observation and clarification. Like, hey, doesn't this person on the box here or on the milk carton look kind of familiar? Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. I'm going to play this clip when they discover the picture and then they show Julie to get her input. I'll be right back. Cherry, look at this. What is it? Picture of a missing girl. Truly, this girl looks sort of like you. That's not me. That girl has white hair. That's flower. <laughs> now look. It couldn't be her, Pocky. This girl's name is Jennifer Bates. Oh, I gotta go home. Julie here? Uh, no, she isn't. She said she was going home. Yeah, didn't she get there yet? She came home a little while ago and went to her room. I, I went to check on her. And the window was open. She wasn't there. I, I think she's run away. Why would she do that? Well, we had an argument. She was upset. What difference does it make? I've got to find her. Well, help him. 
No, but she doesn't know the neighborhood. It's getting dark outside. She could be sick or lost or God knows what. Well, take it easy, Mr. Whitney. I'm sure we'll find her. We'll check the building first. Maybe she went to the park. Yeah, Cherry and I will check there, okay? Good idea. Betty, stay here in case she comes back. I'll call the neighbors and ask if they've seen her. Fine. Let's go, Mr. Whitney. Punky and Cherry check the park while Henry goes with Mr. Whitney to look for Julie. Betty stays by the phone and calls the nosy neighbor who hasn't seen Julie all day but has gossip on the Wapplemans. That's when Henry and Mr. Whitney come back and ask Betty if the girls are back. This is when Henry suggests they call the police. Mr. Whitney yells at them, no! And Mr. Henry shows him the milk carton. I'm going to play this clip of Mr. Whitney explaining what happened and why he took Julie slash Jennifer. I'll be right back. We'd better call the police. No, no police. But Mr. Whitney... No, I don't want you calling the police! Because of this... Maybe you better tell us about it. My ex-wife was trying to keep Julie, Jennifer, away from me. She even tried cutting down some of my visitation rights. And then one weekend I picked up Julie and... and I... didn't take her back. You kidnapped her? No. No, I didn't plan it. She's my child. I didn't like being cut out of her life. But you stole her. No, no, you don't understand. I did it out of love. What you did was not an act of love. It was pure selfishness. Listen, my child is missing. I have to find her. I can't stand not knowing where Julie is. Now you know how her mother must feel. Henry and Betty go on about how he kidnapped or stole her from her mother, and the guy acts like they're twisting the situation to make him the bad guy. He tells them he didn't have a choice. He did it out of love. That's where he's very wrong. The mother didn't have a choice of not being able to... Hold on a second. Yeah, all right. The mother didn't have a choice of not being able to see her daughter for almost two years. How long do you think that picture on the milk carton has been circulating since she went missing in February of 1984. Also, here's my question. Why did Jennifer's mother cut down visitation rights? This man clearly has anger issues as we've seen demonstrated with Henry, Betty, and even Julie slash Jennifer. Henry tells him it was pure selfishness, not love, that drove him to take Julie. Mr. Whitney turns to go, but stops in the doorway and turns around saying, Look, my daughter is missing. I don't like not knowing where my daughter is. Henry gives him a hard look. Now you know what her mother must be feeling. In the backyard, it's dark and the girls come around the corner with flashlights calling Julie's name. Cherry turns to Punky and tells her, I don't think Brandon knows what he's doing. Then she adds, all he's found is every fire hydrant on the block. Well, Cherry, he is a male dog, and they do like to mark their territory whenever and whenever they can. Punky shrugs her shoulders and tells her he's just warming up his nose. And Cherry says, that's not what it looked like to me. Just then, Brandon barks from over by the treehouse, and both Punky and Cherry shout this in realization. Cherry asks Punky if she thinks she's, that Julie's up there, and Punky tells her, well, Brandon, that Brandon does, and that she tells Cherry to check the laundry room just to be safe. Like, you know, let's cover our bases here. Punky enters the treehouse and calls out Julie's name while looking around. She almost gives up, but goes to leave. But then she notices a lock of blonde curly hair shut in the top of the toy box chest. Punky says aloud, I guess you're not here. I may as well leave now. And she shuts the trap door while still standing there. I'm going to play this clip of Punky and Julie's conversation. Julie thinking that Punky is actually left and climbing out of the box.
truly. Why didn't you answer me? Why didn't you leave? What's going on? Why did you run away? I don't want to talk about it. But everybody's looking for you. Your dad's real worried. I'm mad at him. Why? I told you I don't want to talk about it. Was that you in the milk carton? He told me my mom didn't want to see me anymore. He lied to me. If she didn't want to see me, then why would she put me on milk? You're right. She must be trying real hard to find you. Why would my dad do this to me? I don't know. Why don't you ask him why? I'm not talking to him. After what he did to me, every time I make a friend, we have to move. And every time we move, I have to change my name. I've been Joan and Jane and Jan. Listen, Julie, it's Jennifer. I never want to see my father again. I'm going to live up here for the rest of my life. Here's my first week's rent. Boy, your mom wants you with her. Dad wants you with him. Yeah, isn't it rotten? I think it's wonderful. You do? Yeah, see? Henry's my foster dad. I don't know where my real dad is. How come? You walked out on my mom and me. Then my mom started acting real weird. She drove me to a shopping center. Never came back. Why would she do that? I don't know. What really bothers me is I may never get the chance to ask her why. Awful. But you've still caught that chance. Your dad's still here. You can ask him why. What do you say? Want to talk to him about it? Great. Thanks, Pinky. You're a real good friend. No problem. Here's your rent back. It's on the house. Julie mentions that her father said her mother didn't want her, didn't want her anymore. What parent does that to a, their child? Julie also tells Punky whenever she makes a friend, they have to move. She tells Punky that she's been Joan and Jane and Janet, and then Punky stops her before she can go on. How often do they have to move? Maybe once a month. I can't imagine them he's been any in one place any longer than that. Punky calls her Julie, but she cuts her off correcting her, saying that my name is Jennifer. As she puts some change down on the table, telling Punky that that's her first month's rent, and she's going to live in the treehouse forever. So, um, and I already played the clip where Punky tells Jennifer how lucky she is that both her parents want her, and how Henry is her foster dad. Punky convinces Jennifer to come with her and talk to her dad and find out why he took her from her mother. Back in the apartment, Henry asks Mr. Whitney how long he's been on the run. He tells him a year and a half. It's been a nightmare, moving from town to town, afraid that someone would find out his secret and take his daughter away from him. I'm going to play this clip of Jennifer's confrontation with her father. Be right back. Oh, Jennifer. <laughs> I need to know something. Why did you lie to me? Why did you take me away from mommy? Honey? Why did you do it? Jennifer, when your mother got married again, I was very, very scared. Of what? Well, you didn't know about this, but Mark and your mother were planning on moving to the West Coast. Do you know what that means? It means I'd hardly ever get to see you again. And I was so afraid. 
Somebody here that wants to talk to you. Well, mommy. When the girls come through the door, relief washes over Mr. Whitney's face. But when he goes to hug her, she puts a hand up and backs away, demanding to know why he lied to her. Candace Cameron does an amazing job with the acting here. Wow. Mr. Whitney tells her how her mom and her new husband, Mark, were going to move with Julie out to the West Coast, so I'm guessing maybe near California. Jeremy brought up a good point, that he didn't think that Julie's, Jennifer's mother could up and leave the state with her if he has visitation rights. I'm not sure how it works with the court system and visitation. Could she have done that? He was afraid that she would forget him. Well, there's the phone and planes. He or she could fly out for visits during holiday and summer breaks. It's not like all ties of communication would be severed. They end up hugging and he asks to use the phone to call Jennifer's mom and lets her speak to her daughter. Jennifer picks up the phone and tells her mom, Hi, mommy. Hi, mommy. And you hear that in the clip too. <laughs> and that's where the episode ends. Time for my Brandon Tailwag episode rating. I am giving this episode 4 out of 5 Brandon Tailwags. The one for the show dealing with the subject of a missing child in a very serious they dealt with it in a very serious manner. Two, Candace Cameron acts the heck out of this episode. She can seem cute and innocent, but when she discovers her father's been lying to her, she turns on a dime and demands to know the truth. Three. Henry and Betty taking this matter to heart when they discover the milk carton with Julie slash Jennifer's face on it. Henry immediately goes on the offense after Mr. Whitney explains why he took his daughter. He tells Henry tells him that what he did was not was he tells him what that what he did was out of selfishness, not love. And number four. Punky and Cherry being so welcoming and befriending Julie and how they wanted to help her when her situation became dire after she discovered her face on the milk carton. I had to knock a tail, uh, uh, tail wag off because honestly, Betty should have been watching those girls making that cake. So that way she could step in and make a correction and she could have seen the milk carton sooner and decided the best way to break it to Julie instead of the girls looking at Julie suspiciously and then shoving it in her face saying like, hey, this is you, right? Why is your picture on here? Because Julie had no idea. All of a sudden, they're shoving up, like, here, look, is this you? Why are you on here? It's like, I'm I don't know. It's like this is the first time she's even hearing that she's even a missing child. I know they're kids and all, but my gosh, that's a sensitive, that's just, Wow. Alright guys, time for Punky's Principles. What I got from this episode. The adults, although Henry did take a little convincing at first, but they didn't hesitate at the seriousness of the situation, and they questioned Mr. Whitney, whose name we learn at the end of the episode is Richard, as to why he took Julie, or I'll just call her Jennifer. Henry and Betty, both parents themselves immediately took offense to him, saying he took his daughter out of they took offense to him saying that he took his daughter out of love and fear that he would never see her again. I love how Henry is on this guy like a dog on a bone, saying what he did was out of pure selfishness, as he sides with her mother who must be worried sick. If I were Henry and Betty, I wouldn't hesitate to have called the police or that phone number on the milk carton. Today we have so many ways to recover lost children who have been abducted by their parents or strangers. With the Amber Alert system and the internet and all of social media, if this situation had happened today, they would have found her probably within the week, I bet, or sooner. 
I'm sure the money that Jennifer's mom and her husband were going to use to move probably had to be used on private investigators to locate their daughter and or putting her picture on missing person ads and milk cartons. How long had she been doing that? That picture looked kind of recent. Remember the TV movie called I Know My First Name is Steven that came out in 1989 dealing with a kidnapping in the late 70s? That one ended badly. Yes, the boy, spoiler alert, was returned to his family. But he basically did that on his own. He wasn't returned from by the kidnapper. He took off because of how he was being treated by the kidnapper. He was not the little boy that, that left that family. He came back a different and changed person. I'm so glad that we have the technology and capabilities to help locate missing people sooner. All right, let's hear some YouTube comments. It's a kid's show, but it deals with a lot, uh, a lot of grown-up problems in such a mature way. I love this show. Two, hard to believe all these girls are in their 40s now. They are. They are in their 40s. It's too bad that... Here's another one. It's too bad that parents can be so mean and spiteful toward one another during a divorce. Just because the marriage fails is no reason to keep the other parent away from their child unless they're a toxic person. That's true. I mean, we don't know why um, Jennifer's mother was keeping her, I mean, lowering her uh, ex's visitation rights and just making them less and less there had to have been a reason behind that all right someone said this was my favorite P pb punky brewster episode i was so happy to see baby dj tanner on this episode i like the way they used children to bring forth the issue of child abduction in a way they could understand they don't do things like this anymore i wish they did everything shouldn't be a joke or for a laugh maybe a different generation but issues like these don't change with time they only get worse if not taught properly they did a great job with this 31 year old classic I love this episode. It's a real tear shatter. But it would have been better if they let us hear how happy the mother was to hear from her daughter after a year of waiting. But still, it's a beautiful ending. Alright, let's give a warm welcome to some new Punky Power podcast listeners for the week. We have Ashburn, Virginia. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Archbold, Ohio. San Mateo, California. Minneapolis, Minnesota, Austin, Texas, Janesville, Wisconsin, Dubna, Russia, Muskegon, Michigan, Madawan, New Jersey, New Haven, Connecticut, Columbia, Ohio, Kirpin, Germany, Mexico, Albertvillers, France, Paris, Kentucky. Oh, there's Paris and Kentucky. Cool. Snowflake, Arizona. That is kind of, that's cute. I don't know if Arizona gets much snow. Bronx, New York, Mountain View, California, and Santa Clara, California. I want to give a sincere thank you to all the listeners out there, whether you listen to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other listening platforms that you may use to hear this podcast. I love giving you the episode recaps of Punky Brewster every week. Joining me as I go into full detail, describing her many adventures and shenanigans with Henry, Brandon, and her friends, as well as my occasional running commentary and childhood stories. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to iTunes to rate, leave a review, and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Also, check my social media sites, which you can access using the links on my SoundCloud account, Punky Power, unofficial Punky Brister podcast. You can also go to Facebook, the Punky Power Facebook page. You can like me and follow me on there. You can also follow me on Instagram at PunkyPBPodcast and follow me on Twitter at PunkyPBPodcast. Or you can even email me at PunkyPowerPBPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to give your input on the episodes that I do, you can even leave a voice message and I will put it in the podcast. All right, join me on Sunday, next Sunday, October 29th, when I review Season 2, Episode 14, Urban Fear, which is the first episode to air in the new year on January 5th, 1986. In this episode, Punky is afraid that Henry will be the next victim 
of a widely publicized murder spree. This is kind of a dark episode. But then the next episode, season two, episode third, or episode 15, Girls Want to Be Boys, that makes up for it by being a fun episode when Punky receives a remote-controlled race car as a gift. She wants to take it to the racing track, but they do not allow girls to compete there. Wow, it's a bit sexist also. That's wonderful. All right, well, you all have a wonderful week, and I'll be back next Sunday with an all-new podcast episode. Bye-bye.